Life's a Mitch. G'day, guys. Welcome back to another special episode this week of Life's a Mitch podcast. My next guest is an extremely talented and dynamic Australian musician, writer, and composer. Originally of Byron Bay, she has completed a bachelor piano performance at the Sydney Conservatorium of Music. And also, lots of people would be familiar with her work as the keyboardist, pianist, and a true master of the synth for her time in the internationally renowned Aussie band, The Jezebels. Everyone knows my favourite, and perhaps you've seen her play on stage in many countries around the world, or perhaps even seen a classical performance too. Over the last decade, I've had a, the sheer pleasure of listening to my favourite band's music, and for me to speak to another one of the band members today is excites me with joy. It's a true pleasure. You cast your minds back or a month or two, I had the pleasure of speaking to the vocalist of The Jezebels and now solo star, Hayley Mary. So go back and check that out if you want to listen to more awesome content. And uh, my next guest is truly an exceptional composer and years of experience playing music. And uh, she's not only an awesome performer, but she's also classically trained. Anyways, that was a hell of an intro. Without further ado, Heather Shannon, how are you doing today? Hey, Mitch. Really good, thanks. That was a hell of an intro. Wow. I don't know how to live up to that. <laughs> you do, but just being you. <laughs> You're doing... <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, I didn't realise the Jezebels was your favourite band. That's awesome. It, well, hands down. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Well, I, yeah, I've seen countless gigs and, um, you know, you go back through your most listened to songs on Spotify and for the t- for, I've had Spotify since about 15, 16 or something, and there's still at least six or seven in my top 20 songs of all time. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So, awesome. yeah, it's it's honestly, it's it's it means a lot. And how's things? How you going? Um, thanks for coming on the show. And how's uh, how's lockdown life been treating you? It's a pleasure to come on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, lockdown, it hasn't been too bad for me. Um, I've just been teaching music online, which is kind of tricky. Um, yeah, and, and then, like, writing a lot of music. And yesterday was the first, you know, not day of not lockdown. <laughs> oh, Freedom Day, yes. Happy Freedom Day. Yeah. Freedom Week. So, actually, my partner and I went to the pub. <laughs> Um, along with many other people, because I just love having a beer at the pub. Hell yeah. Um, and that was really nice. That's awesome. I get my second jab tomorrow and um, hopefully going to see a few mates in Newcastle on the weekend. And I just Great. want to, I want a schnitty in my belly because let's face it, <laughs> they're the best. And, yeah, um, so that's good to hear that, you know, freedom, how good. And congrats on the release of Midnight Sun. As, as I've been. As I, you know, I've been playing it a lot. I've been annoying you, your Instagram inbox. I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Um, no, it's it was a project that I worked on for a long time and um, I, you know, it's just hard to finish things sometimes. So um, it took me a long time to get it finished and get it happening. So I'm really stoked that it's finally released. That's yeah. awesome. So we'll, we'll get to the album soon and talk about yeah. like you know essentially like a timeline your music career you know even time before the jezebels and you know up to today and just wondering if it's okay with you this uh this podcast has two great sections uh storytelling i'm going to mix it up usually i do this section at the end but i think we might just kick things off as a bit of an icebreaker i was just wondering would you like to join me in having a bitchy with mitchy this week <laughs> sure <laughs> So the idea is to have a good whinge wine sook. It can be a first world problem or a, an ongoing thing. Um, it's up to you. You can go first or I can. It's up to you. Okay. Um, uh, you go first. Okay. You can so, um, show me an example and then I'll um, know what no, to do. <laughs> no worries. Well, a lot of people have uh, spoken about like traffic-related incidents or, you know, people's selfishness or whatever. Mm. But mine is, um, I guess it's, it's a bitch about, possibly being in the right place at the, or the wrong place at the wrong time. So, you know, this is the live theatre of Curry Curry. It's ridiculous here. So recently I pulled into a service station. I filled my car up at Bowser number two, and then you walk in to pay for your fuel. And there was a cranky little old lady in front of me speaking to the attendant. And she said, excuse me, where's the toilet? And he said, it's just over there near the entrance. So he pointed towards you know, the entrance. So I physically had to walk past this woman. And uh, he said to me innocently, the number of the bows out that I use. So he just said, looked at me and goes, number two. And the little old lady's still in earshot. And she turns around and goes, no, as a matter of fact, you fucking pervert. I'm doing a number one. What's it to you? <laughs> <laughs> and absolutely. <laughs> I, wow. I guess my bitch was that my cheeks <laughs> hurt that much. <laughs> and it was absolutely like 
I don't know, live theatre, you just, it was funny as. And <laughs> the fridges go around in like, you know, when you're at that point where you're just about to break, like the fridges go around in like a C shape. And there was a guy reaching in to get like a bag of ice and you can see his hair was huge. And where your head does that bobble, his hair was wiping away the condensation. It was just at that point <laughs> that I've truly lost my shit. <laughs> so, so that's, that's really funny. That's that's my bitch. It's just my cheeks still hurt thinking about it. Uh, yeah, that's great. It does sound like a theatre performance. It sounds oh, like. it's, uh, it's, it's ironic because this is home of Mullet Fest but I'm balding. So it's kind of like genetics <laughs> F you as well. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I don't have a story that good. Um, uh, the only thing that I can think of right now, I mean, other than political stuff, which I don't think we should get into because um, <laughs> I get pissed <laughs> off a lot with our politicians, but um, just my, I'm, I feel like I'm always fighting my own brain, to be honest. I get pissed off at myself. <laughs> Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to um, write a piece of music or like today, for example, and yesterday, I have I think I've basically rewritten the same few bars over and over again and done nothing productive. So that's really annoying. Um, but yeah. So fair enough. So like if, you, if you've come across something, you procrastinate longer than usual and then you get angry at yourself going, what am I, that's time wasted, say, is that what you sort of relate to? Yeah. yeah, and okay. I get annoyed at my phone because my phone, I just pick up my phone all the time and then I lose concentration. Um, yeah. Are you a TikToker? <laughs> I recently got TikTok and feeding can. My brain cells oh, wow. are dropping by the minute. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have TikTok. Um, should I get it? Well, I, I found 101 life hacks that were useless, so... <laughs> It's like, here's a life hack. You know, when you're at Aldi, you put your bag at the conveyor belt and let them fall in. It's like, well, really? Is that a life hack? Or is, oh, it, just, or is it just more millennials thinking they know best? I don't know. But Yeah, yeah, totally. But, you know. I probably it, don't need distractions, yeah. It's an absolute, it's, it's a good way to procrastinate, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I feel good. I feel good after that bitch. It's a great ice-breaking tool. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. But it, like, totally can relate to that whole procrastination thing, like on days off, um, I'm a shift worker. So when, you know, you do a block, like, so we do 12 hour shifts, you do two in a row and then you have say two days off and then you do three in a row or whatever. Mm-hmm. If I don't do something on those days off, like edit or a bit of exercise, I can relate to that. So. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah, well. so, um, do, do so you work at night. So it's an even 50, 50 roster. I, I'm, I drive haul trucks in the, in coal mines and wow. uh, our hours are seven till seven. And it's an hour travel each way, so by the time you knock off, you you fair buggered. Okay. Oh my gosh. And an hour so, to get to the, to the job. Yeah. Yeah. So you leave at half past five, and you're home at I don't know eight thirty in the morning or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. you know these things are huge. Like it's so much fun. They're, they're huge trucks, hey. Yeah, you're about eight meters in the air, and they weigh up to five hundred tons. Holy shit. Plus the four hundred tons of dirt that can go on the back, and you drive it yeah. along, and your first thought was, I am definitely overcompensating here <laughs> eight but, meters and i just can't believe that That's yeah i'll send you uh like, so i'm about five nine i'll send you a photo of me next to one um well we had an open day a few years ago and you're able to take photos and stuff so oh i d- i didn't realize coal mines do open days they do when times of covid on around but uh, yeah our pit had one in 2018 for okay. like um you know contractors staff bring your yeah. families along and it was like kind of like a mini fate i was talking to Haley. And she said, do the mines have shows up there? Because I'd like to play in one. I said, mm. well, quite often your, your big mining corporations that are involved in mining towns, like your Glencores, your Yankols, your, um, you know, those companies quite will quite often sponsor a, a town fate or, uh, and they'll, yeah. they'll supply live music, you know, uh, stalls and activities to the kids. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it happens quite a bit, especially up in those Queensland towns like Mount Isa or something like that. So Okay. But, Interesting. Yeah. That's oh, we uh we cover all the topics here at Life's a Mitch. <laughs> we like to please. So, all right, that how's that for a smooth transition? About as rough as my head feeding him. Good job, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so bitchy with Mitchy, how good? And now's the next part of a bit of storytelling. So I just figured we could get to know you as like as a musician leading up to the Jezebels, and a little bit about yourself as a person too. And yeah, sure. I was just first question is. 
take yourself back to as early as you can remember. Mm-hmm. What was the first thing you were a fan of? Singer, show, book, series, video game? Oh, gosh. Um, I can remember the first CD I bought, um, which was, like, so nerdy. I decided to buy a Mozart CD when I was probably seven or eight years old. <laughs> That's um, cool. I think my parents thought that I was really odd. Um <laughs> They still do think I'm odd, I think. But, um, yeah, so I decided to buy that for some reason. And, I don't know, I remember reading, like, a lot of Enid Blyton books and it's Goosebumps. I used oh, to Goosebumps. love R.L. Stein at his finest. Yeah, I loved that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, that comes to mind. And, yeah, I played a bit of, um, like, Nintendo, Alex the Kid. Oh, one of the greatest <laughs> games of all time. Yeah. yeah I, so- I, mem- I remember one of the first... Uh, goosebump books i read there was a it's like a a timeline one you get to a page and go okay you can choose this option and go back to page 30 or choose this option man that yeah that takes me back i was always a fan of like pokemon and dragon ball z like all these anime do you remember cheese tv of a a weekday morning Um, i used to i used to watch that every morning and yeah i'm a big big nerd that's why i love storytelling you get i get invested in these characters and stuff and still to this day i'm a nerd i'm proud of it (laughs) nice yeah that's cool so Uh, yeah also like um if you take yourself back to your earliest musical memory what do you think the genesis was of your music career what did you go you know what this is a a passion that i want to pursue did you have a crystallizing moment at some point in time or yeah that's a funny uh question um you know i think it's only recently that i decided that it's something that i wanted to pursue rather than it being something as a child um because you kind of just do stuff when you're a kid you know and you don't really question you don't have that foresight of like oh I should go to uni I should like set up my life so when I'm in my 30s I'm getting like some um I can pay my rent or you know like you don't really think about it um so I kind of just did it it was probably just the thing that I was best at and so I I just kept doing that and um my grandma used to play keyboard um she had a keyboard in her in her flat and um I played that a lot as a kid so maybe that sort of sparked something and I do remember going to see organists playing at the Sydney Town Hall uh, when I was really young Mm. so um yeah I think my mom took me to some of those concerts and um you know yeah that kind of thing so yeah nice yeah do you think, well, next, the follow-up question for that is like, who has been a, like a massive influence to you for both in music and in life? Like does your grandma and your mum come to mind for that as well? Or? Um, For sure. Yeah. Just like family was always really supportive of me playing music. And I know, you know, some kids don't necessarily get that support um, because it's, it is hard to make money and to support yourself as a musician as you get older. Um, so I do get that, but um, I was lucky that my, my parents did support me. Um, Cause they could just tell that I was just like absolutely loving sitting at the piano for hours a day for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I guess my teachers as well, apart from that, I've always had really, my, my, my music teachers have been really open-minded and encouraged me to do a whole bunch of different stuff. So, you know, I, like I learned a few different instruments all the time and I'd play in bands and also play a bit of classical music and do this and that and um, really kind of stripped back the, elitism I guess you could say of that kind of music so made it really accessible for me and kind of community based rather than this kind of something you know that's unattainable and something to you know it's all about perfection (laughs) yeah do you think that because you are classically trained and you've had you've got a lot of experience in live performances and other instruments as well does it keep it more fresh for you like you know in terms of like more excitement because you can delve between the two vastly different genres. Yeah, I Does think that makes sometimes. Sense? I, yeah, totally. I think I have a bit of um, ADHD sometimes, just because <laughs> I'm like, why am I doing everything? Like, why don't I just do one thing? Because yeah, I just get sick of, of doing that one thing. I guess um, that was something that when I when I did go to the conservatorium, I was I w- I was in shock. I think um, when I started because just because of how tunnel visioned it is in that world and I that was never my experience as a musician musician growing up like I always had these complementary things around my classical playing that really informed that so 
Yeah, that was a struggle. Yeah. Well, um, I've spoken to various people, like as you know, I spoke to Haley, spoken to some uh, comedic guests from the US, um, Matt O'Kine, um, people in the entertainment industry across different roles, and they said similar to you, it's like one of the keys to success is to not try and get that tunnel vision. You know, it's to try and to try and get that spin many plates you know for example Matt O'Kine's a comedian a radio host an actor mm. and a producer you know you know you're a composer you're a performer you know you're a songwriter and all this stuff so you've got you know you've got that happening for you as well like you look at Hayley like a singer songwriter perform she's you know doing the solo acting uh, solo acts as well like and I think that yeah. um yeah the that consistent thing that everyone said that I've spoken to is that it's just that it's it's to spin plates and if you don't like something, try something else. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really interesting that, that you've heard that um, from other people. Yeah. It's, it actually comforts me to know that yeah. other people um, have that similar experience. Cause sometimes I think, you know, Oh man, I'm just approaching this the completely the wrong way, <laughs> but um, <laughs> life in general. Um, well, it's, you know, it's, it's that classic thing. It's like, well, no one wrote, uh, you know, a, a book on how life's supposed to go. I, I, I think that yeah. if something feels good, do it. Um, yeah. You can learn from a mistake later or whatever. For me, I'm, I'm just a calm one having a crack at doing this and I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I mean, I've got to spoken yeah. to some of my favourite actors, musicians and comedians so far. And um, cool. it, it's, yeah, on, it, tell you what, I had, a, I had a moment. I got to meet T- JD and Turk from Scrubs. It's, it was my favourite TV show of all time. Oh, and, wow. Oh, that's cool. On that yeah. viral video I sent you, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Mark Fennell, the host, of, I was on that TV show, Mastermind, and that promo got about half a million views. And because I was wearing the Scrubs onesie podcast on, I got tagged in their socials. And then Turk's like, uh, Donald, the guy who plays Turk, inboxed me. He's like, hey, man, do you want to come on the show? And <laughs> no one was around, but I was doing the little, you know, oh, my God. Um, did you get to go on the show? Yeah, I was on their podcast. Oh, the podcast, right. Oh, that's so cool. I have to have a listen to that. I I make them giggle for 20 minutes, make an absolute fool of myself. But <laughs> I, can, I can say that I met sort of half met Turk and JD and I had a good mm, time. Yeah, that, that's such a good show. I loved that show too. Oh, <laughs> to hear that just makes my respect go up even more. Preach it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I keep tangenting. I'm sorry. Um <laughs> so what's it why when you're touring the world or out and about visiting friends or on a holiday what's a guilty pleasure that you like to take with you so something you can't deal without oh so uh, greta ray yeah on tour or if you're going away with your family or friends greta ray said she loves burritos and whenever chance she can she'll Haley said she's into that asmr which is like the the audio Mm. good feeling vibes and you know she can have a chance to to unwind she will what about totally. Yourself? Yeah, I don't mind that actually. That's um that's pretty relaxing thing to listen to. Um, I don't know. The first thing, this is really boring probably, but the first thing that comes to mind is it's just so annoying like having a big suitcase and like ruffling through stuff all the time. Yeah. So I tend to just like have some really good boots that I can wear every day <laughs> on stage and off stage. Yeah. Um, pants that I can wear on and off stage, <laughs> and then just a jacket or like just always wear the same thing. Um, just black, like some sort of black clothing. Um, so I don't have to always find things that I can't find. Um, and also, oh man, look, you know that I'm, I've already said that I, I enjoy having a beer every now and then. So nothing um, wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. And a whiskey. I mean, yeah. Having a beer or a whiskey after a show is definitely pretty comforting. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I um is there anything like any have you vibed with any like good craft beer or any whiskey lately? I really like Grifter. Grifter's nice. Yeah, I, um, I think it's my favorite. Oh and and XPA. Um what's it called? Filter XPA. I haven't had um, filter, but there's a there's a page I joined recently. Oh, it's an it's an app called Untapped. And what it is, it's essentially Facebook for beers and you can it's like a GPS tracks you and you can hit the map icon and it'll come up what breweries or uh, venues are around and it'll it's a live update as to what they've got on tap how people rate it and so on oh that sounds great actually i was just talking about this with sam last night about whether you can look up what beers are on tap at different pubs yeah i'll um i'll send you a screenshot of the app it's called 
untapped U N T A double P T double P D. Um, That's great. And yeah, I I've put on many COVID pants because of it, and I do not care. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. That's awesome. Okay, next question. What was the first ever performance you did? Was it as a solo act or was it with the Jezebels or what was the first um, one ever? I probably, when I was a kid playing, I used to play for Byron Music Society as a child a bit. Yeah. Um, oh, there was a talent quest. Haley might have mentioned this um when you spoke to her but both Haley and I are in a talent quest when we were in primary school no she didn't and, <laughs> oh, she didn't. um so Haley I remember Haley had this like red jumpsuit on and she was like jumping around the stage um dancing to Fox on the Run awesome um, <laughs> and at that stage she had like super long hair like you know down to her knees almost um, so just kind of like flicking her hair around, blah, blah, blah. And, and um, obviously a born performer. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like she was she was born to do a thing even since she was a kid. Yeah, and I played, I think I played Fair Elise by <laughs> Beethoven on the, <laughs> the piano in the school hall. And I, I stuffed it up and I remember I had to finish like halfway through and then I just walked out of the hall because I was so embarrassed. <laughs> but is it... <laughs> Is it one of those yeah. things that I know myself, I couldn't detect a, a stuff up in a piano performance. I'm not classically trained. Most people probably couldn't have yeah, told. I know. I think that that experience has haunted me um, up until today. Still, when I, when I play, I don't know what it is. Like it's that, it is that, that pressure or something to just get it right. I'm not sure where that came from. I um I was selected in year two to be the lead vocalist in our rendition of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Nice. And I swear that 90 minutes, I, I reckon I killed many people's brain cells. Hey, I'm so tone deaf. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were selected, it must be for a reason. I'm either, just like this podcast, I'm either decent and entertaining or people are very good at feeling sorry for me. Either way. <laughs> I'll take it. We did it. We had a good time and I had my, sh- my shoelace come untied and I started crying on the stage. Oh. <laughs> I had a lot of OCD as a kid and the stage, the performance stopped. Uh, the teacher ran out, <laughs> tied my shoe because I, I, my hands were like this. I couldn't do it. <laughs> oh, dear. It's actually kind of, um, it's pretty intense how they get kids to perform like so young. Like it's, it is scary. Can be, and especially if the kid, um, you know, is more sort of introverted and sort of like, I wouldn't use the word force, but like, you know, if you don't perform, your grades will be crap. So, well, you know, kids, I think kids should be used to their strengths. And if they don't want to do something, then but anyways, what would I yeah. do? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you talk, you spoke about performing in Byron. Um, you know, you obviously you help yourself and Haley been friends for a long time. Can you, in your words, just describe how the Jezebels came to be from your perspective? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Haley and I, we grew up playing bits of music and writing bits and um, she she wrote a lot of songs and I would sort of accompany her. Um, and then we came to Sydney and we sort of were still doing that and we, we just really wanted a gig. And I remember we made like a, we had some sort of CD burner and um, in our living room we made like a CD, a demo CD of about five different tracks of me playing violin and she was strumming. She was on the acoustic guitar and singing. Yeah, nice. Um, And then we, like, we just didn't know how to get a gig. So we went out and, like, printed a bunch of these CDs and just gave them out to, like, pub staff and, like, can can we please play in the corner of your pub? Like, can we play here? Can we play here? I don't know if we ever got a call back, but but we were super desperate just to, to play and... And then um, Haley and Sam connected at uni. And then the three of us sort of, I don't know, just played a bunch, wrote together. Um, we actually played with a bunch of different musicians, like different drummers. Um, tried to, we're trying to find a drummer for a long time. And some, yeah, really great people, but it just never felt right or something. Yeah. And then Sam... Sam ran into Nick at a cafe. He was, Nick was making him a coffee or something. And um, I think the Weaker Thans or something were playing on the radio and they were both talking about the Weaker Thans. And then 
he was like, I'm a drummer that, I mean, I, I don't have a band to play in. And Sam was like, oh, my God, we're a band. We don't have a drummer. <laughs> so, so that's how that happened. Um, yeah, so it was kind of like it was hard at the start to find, you know, to find us all, but we did. It was like Avengers <laughs> Assemble. <laughs> yeah. And then Haley and I, um, it was, you know, with uni and work and, you know, trying to pay rent in Sydney and stuff as a student, we were like, okay, we have to move in together because otherwise we don't, we're not going to have time to start this band. And so we um, moved into this studio apartment in Newtown. Um, I think it was on the top of a hairdresser's um, on King Street. And the guys would come over. Like we used to rehearse a lot. So we'd come home from uni and then just rehearse for three or four hours in the evening and like Nick would have his full drum kit in this studio <laughs> studio apartment, just like bashing away. And he's a he's a loud player, you know. And um and Sam had his um amp going, and it was super loud. And we actually almost got evicted um from that <laughs> studio, so we were pretty lucky that we were able to hold on to it. But um yeah, that's how it started. Oh, it's all worth it, you know. Many moons later, and it's you've resonated with hundreds <laughs> of thousands of fans, so you know. Thank you for the stuff and the shop beneath you putting up with it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Thank you, guys. Um, I do remember it being a lot of fun, though. Like, we we just, I would just be so excited to, you know, hang out with them. And, I mean, I don't think there's anything more fun than playing music with friends. I think it's pretty fun. Well, I think, you know, if you're able to, like, with your friends, you know, obviously, as you said, have fun and then have the opportunity to make a career out of it. I mean, that's the dream life, you know, and if you're able to... <laughs> do what feels right because they say if you work when a work is going to take up a third of your life you know on average and if you're going to spend 33 percent of your time on the planet then why not do something that's at least semi-enjoyable so that's what Mm. i reckon anyways but you know that's awesome yeah no i think you hit the nail on the head semi-enjoyable it's like it does start out as a hobby and as something that's just so fun um and not to say that it's not still fun but you know, and we were super lucky to be able to get to a point where it did become our full-time job. And like in saying that when it does become your full-time job, it is your job. So you have to quite, you know, you've got to treat it like that and you have to work at it and rehearse all the time, work so hard, even to the point where you are getting sick of it, you know, (laughs) and it becomes, it does have that feeling like you know maybe it's not so fun anymore all the time but um, yeah it's it's natural you know you spend a lot of time going well i need to find ways to make this enjoyable keep it fresh you know yeah yeah exactly i mean we all times of repetitiveness or we all feel run down and it's like well why am i beating my head against this wall if it's not going to change yeah yeah and to hear that you know even that musicians who are doing what they love it happens to them as well like i feel a little bit better knowing that oh you do <laughs> yeah because you know see i'm gonna fanboy for a second here it's like well, when you when you hear that from someone who you've admired whose talent and art you've admired for such a long time it just goes you know what maybe i don't seem seem so crazy i've job hopped a little bit but you know you got to do what makes you happy there's no point taking the best ideas to the graveyard i say oh that's a good saying pretty morbid but that's true yeah i like morbid things <laughs> fair enough i'll keep that in mind so what's a just speaking about like touring and and playing what's a memorable gig or uh, like various gigs that you've resonated with like what's a standout awesome moment and if there is one what's a cool story that goes with it yeah um this this question always stops me because i just get all this flooding of gigs back into my head like yeah that time there was a time that we you know we had this crazy routing and we, we we flew from Hong Kong we did a gig in Hong Kong flew to Miami and played there and then we flew from Miami to New York and then back to Sydney all in the space of like five days or six days or something like that and it was just so insane that's some um, true rock star shit right there eh? and the gigs were really fun and no sleep but like I remember being in this like hotel room in Miami just tripping out like just what is going on um uh but yeah but I think a gig that that resonated the most is probably the opera house is is a really um special one because um I had the opportunity to play on the organ there um which was really challenging and you know looking back and listening back to that music I sort of think oh god like I cringe at it because it's kind of weird and not 
what I wanted it to be, but but still it was just such an awesome experience and cool way to open the show. And um, and we'd been overseas for so long before we played that gig that it just felt like such an awesome place to play coming home, you know, to see our home fans again and share that experience with them. That's cool. And another funny thing about it was that before we actually played there, Sam had never been to the opera house. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, it was a big, big thing for him too. What a way to, what, oh yeah, just first time here and we're going to shred. How good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. That's awesome. And, you know, actually th- this year as well, um, the 10th year anniversary of the release of Prisoners. So congratulations on that too. Um, I, it's, I, I had a, I bought the album when it come out at JB Hi-Fi or Sanity or something like that. And I just about oh, reckon, wow. I just about reckon between that and I had, uh, the Mace Spray single, I think, or the album. I'm not sure which one I bought first. And just on regular rotation. Um, and I reckon the laser in my CD player, my little Ford laser, just about blew through the CD itself. It read it that many times. So who knows? So congrats on 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 that achievement as well. Thank you. That's okay. Yeah, it's, it's so mind-blowing to think it's been 10 years since that album was released. Um, I guess it feels pretty long, a long time ago. But um, it's definitely a milestone for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. You're yeah. you know, here in ten years is like you know I'm a veteran of this. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> is there a in that like in that journey so far since you know you started up to now with with the songs you composed and helped write in the Jezebels? Is there one that stands out for you that you sort of most or I won't say most proud of, but more proud of than say another one? Or yeah, this is a hard question because um our songs are so like there's quite a broad spectrum of like what the songs are like we've got the pop stuff and then we've got kind of the more like the darker um more intense um kind of interesting I mean I yeah interesting chord progressions and instruments and stuff um I I guess speaking of prisoner I really like nobody nowhere and great song great song Horsehead is um I remember like I woke up one night you know how things come to you when you're like about to go to sleep yeah yeah, so I woke up one night and I was like, oh, I have this, like, keyboard riff in my head. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, like, quickly jotted it down in my little book and um, and then that that's kind of what became Horsehead. Um, and, yeah, so I really like that and nobody know where I like Prisoner. Um, City Girl is a, is a special one, I think. City Girl's a great song. I, on that album, I resonated with Horsehead and probably Rosebud as well. Mm-hmm. Just because, I don't know, like maybe it was lyrically or the use of the, the keyboard and, and the way the bass was as well. I don't know, but something about that um, as a fan resonated with me. But can I delve into a little bit of my fandom for a second, see what you think? Please, yeah. Okay, so for me, as it went along, like I started to listen to the Jezebels maybe 2009, 2010. I heard his play on Triple J or Triple J on Earth. I think the first song I might have heard might have been May Spray or She's So Hard or something like that. And going along, I saw you play at Groovin at the Horden, you know. And when it was actually the Cynthia album that when it came out. And of all the songs, it was Pleasure Drive, which was, you know, huge and unnatural. Um, just that that Celtic riff, that heavy use of the synth and the random lyrics. I don't know why, and it just it made sense. And of course, Pleasure Drive. I was listening to the the audio track uh, commentary, and Nick was like, "Well, yeah, Heather came up with this with this awesome." beat and he described it as synthesizer prowess i giggled and um but no i don't know i just those those were those are the two songs that i've resonated with personally the most and i don't know i just that's just me i'm just I'm yeah, awfully oh, now. yeah thanks um yeah i remember actually writing um pleasure dive because when we when we decided we were gonna write some more stuff for that album we wrote Pleasure Drive, My Love Is My Disease, and Stamina all in the space of about three days. It came really fast. Oh, wow. Um, and that was sort of the point where we thought, oh, okay, cool. We've got some stuff and we should keep writing because we're on a roll. Um, but, yeah, and I think it had been a while since we'd all come together, so we were really just playing around. And Nick and I were both um, in the room just jamming, I guess, playing around. And I programmed that sequence and then he started playing along and we were sort of just like, being idiots, being like, oh, this is so dumb, like, like just, um, you know, not thinking that it would become a song, just just having a play. And then Haley walked in and she was like, whoa, this is 
sick. Like, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> and then just started singing to it. <laughs> and that's how um, it was born. Yeah. And then it just became the song. But, yeah, I love that about, um, you know, that just playing in a band and, like, collaborating with other people. You just, everyone hears something really, di- like, different. Like, you might really hate something or think it's silly or and then someone else would be like oh no no no, that's great and then has has a different vision for it which is yep. can yeah. be really exciting yeah well i want to talk about like when we'll delve into your solo stuff shortly and one of the questions i was going to ask you is what are the some of the differences between you know being a solo artist as opposed to being in a band but before we do i just i had a question I, you don't have to answer it if you don't want to just before the release of cynthia come out um you had a reoccurrence of a medical complication that attacked you. Uh, you had a second case of ovarian cancer. Is that right? Yeah. So um, it's kind of funny. Like my, I, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, low-grade ovarian cancer in 2013 when we were overseas writing for our um, second album, actually. Um, and at the time, um, you know, I decided that I just wanted to stay in London and keep writing and, you know, I found a, doctor I had health insurance thankfully um thanks to our amazing manager um and was able to get treated there and so we just kept writing through that and then I didn't have I've had a bunch of surgeries and um I didn't have chemotherapy until just before Cynthia the Cynthia tour um and that sort of was a bit unexpected um so that you know obviously just dashed our hopes of um, going on the road with Cynthia internationally. And yeah, that was a terrible, terrible time really. Um, I'm but, sorry to um, have brought it up. I just, no, I was just that's okay. yeah, I'm happy just to talk from about a, it. Yeah. From a fan's perspective, just want to know if you're okay. Like, is everything up to this day yeah, like so, going well? And Yeah. So I've had another, um, since then I've had more chemo and then I'm actually in a drug trial at the moment um, and I've been stable for um, a couple of years. So oh, awesome. I'm in a really good place with it now. Yeah. So um, it's just allowed me to kind of go back to my musical life and continue on, which is great. So you kicked cancer's ass twice. Or... <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's tricky, but I tell you what, we are so lucky to live in a country that has a health system like it does. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, my doctors and the nurses, you know, they just become your friends and, um, yeah, they're amazing. I'm very lucky. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Um, and thanks for being honest. Um, you, uh, it just, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry to have brought that up, but I just. It, no worry. It, it's, um, yeah. you know, to, to, to go from touring and all that happening, then, you know, you go through this bout of uh, treatment and stuff, and then you then uh, decide you know what, I'm going to go to, to Iceland and <laughs> take my hand at um, returning to your classical roots. So as it was, a, was it sort of 2017, you took off to Ireland, to, to the fjords in Iceland, yeah. and I'm not even going to try and pronounce the name it says here, <laughs> um, but that was, yeah. the, that was the genesis of the Midnight Sun project. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it was. So, um, yeah, I, I had had a, have a friend who actually, um, her name's Megan Clune, and she, she'd she done a, an arts residency in Iceland, and the town is Isafjörður. <laughs> it took me a long time to learn how to say that. I'm going to need to, like, just copy that and hear it again and again <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just so I can learn of, how to pronounce it. Yeah, there's lots of, like, um, you know, different mouth shapes in the Icelandic language yeah it's such a cool soft sounding language it's really nice but um yeah so she encouraged me to apply and um and so I got accepted and then I went over there and um yeah and then I was I lived there for a month and I just wrote like I wrote music maybe eight hours a day um six to eight hours a day had the weekends off I was really regimented about it because I wanted to use the time well and it just I guess you know sort of at that point I was still getting used to the process of writing alone in that in that kind of context and just how much time it takes um because I'm pretty slow (laughs) so to to have that feeling of like you know there's no time there's like an endless amount of time you know the sun doesn't go down it's just hours and hours and hours and you can take as much time as you like um that really helped my frame of mind of just kind of getting my ideas out. So, yeah. so yeah. it was your it was your friend that convinced you to go over. Um, 
So yeah. what what was it? What were some of the highlights of your time there? I mean, it's a it's gorgeous landscape. I mean, you're winning in that way as well. But I saw the um, the newspaper article you shared the other day of your view from your room. Um, so apart from like amazing landscapes, what were some of the highlights of your time there? Oh yeah, so that that wasn't the view from the room. That oh was sorry. Actually, um, one time I like I I went on a, a few bigger walks on the weekends. So sorry, sorry, no worries. Um, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Um, and then one, oh, sorry, I think you, sorry, <laughs> I'm getting confused. There were a couple of photos, weren't there? I think so. There yeah, one, one was like out a window um, that's, yeah, looking at a hill and a river, I think. Yeah, so that, you're right, you're right. Um, that was from the desk. Um, so, yeah, that was from the desk where I wrote. And, yeah, you're kind of just looking at just this beautiful landscape and so it is so inspiring, um, magical even. <laughs> um but yeah, some of the highlights. Um, yeah, I went for some great walks just up the mountains, um, and that feeling of just totally being alone, like knowing that there's no other human around you, was just kind of bizarre and a bit, bit kind of freaky, but also really calming. Yeah. Um, strangely, yeah, it was an interesting experience. Um, and yeah, I got to meet some cool people, really nice people. Um, some other artists that came there. There was a there was a another artist who. So the desk looks out onto that divot in the hillside, and that's called the troll seat. The troll um, seat. Okay. In Icelandic mythology, it's like this story of a troll sitting in the mountain and creating that groove. So there was another um, sound artist there, and she she and I and a couple of others walked up into that into the troll seat just at the very end of my um, trip, actually. Um, and she made a reverb in that place. So she, what she does is blow up a balloon and then pop the balloon and then she um, records the sound, the reverb, reverberated sound of that balloon pop. Yeah, right. And then that's like creating like your, your own reverb that you can use on that's your music. Cool. Sand, <laughs> yeah. sampling, sand sampling for her art later on sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. So, it would have been a quite unique sound, like a reverb. With a, it looked like a pretty deep valley. Um, yeah, it, it's huge, and it's full of rocks um, and boulders, and yeah. See, that's why I like chatting to people like yourself. Cool stories, like it's what this is all about. <laughs> hey. So we hmm. touched touched a little bit on it before, but when you're writing and composing as a solo artist, as opposed to say in a band, what are some of the differences um, that you can that spring to mind like, in terms of like writing process performances? Um, I guess the main thing that I think of is just in a band, it's collaborative, um, and so that you have all of those sorts of dynamics happening. And with the writing experience, I feel like in collaboration, it can make things a lot easier and more fun a lot of the time. Um, so when you're alone, like, yeah, it can be hard going. Um, and I think the more you do it, the more you learn about the experience and you kind of know that you're going to have really hard days and then, you know, the next day might not, not be so bad. Um, yep. Yeah. So probably the, yeah, that kind of thing, the writing. Yeah. Nice. Haley Haley said that, you know, there are times where she, that you can be restricted in some ways because, you know, you say your schedule might say you're allocated a few hours one time of the week to come up with content. So she said it was equivalent to like saying, okay, brain activate now, as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, as being a solo artist, she has the, the more freedom to, to write at, at times that suit her better. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. That's similar as well. Um, For sure. Then, See, I'm learning. I'm, I'm not a musician. I, I'm just, I'm just a curious fan. That's all. Yeah, this is yeah. also awesome here. For me, I'm, I'm studying a master's at the moment. Um, oh, awesome. So, in composition, so I'm trying. Like, I kind of do it quite regimentally. So every day, I have to be like, okay, brain, do it now. You know, rather yeah. than wait for stuff to just enter my brain. So, I'm trying to develop that kind of work ethic, I guess, of just sitting down and making it happen when I need to. Yeah. I mean, I suppose you'd have to with the master's level. I mean, I just think about my equivalent as like, you know, that scene in, in the castle is like, I'm proud of my daughter. She studies a cert three hairdressing at Sunny Tafe. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's, I, te- I, I actually teach certificate three um, and diploma at Tafe. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the cert three. <laughs> See, everything comes full circle. <laughs> Michael Kane, you've done it again, champion. <laughs> Yeah, oh man, that that movie is was just it keeps on giving, doesn't it? 
Tell him he's dreaming, Dad. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. that quote that out the wires. Jousting yeah. sticks. Oh, man. It's, it's kind of like listening to two blokes speak at the pub here in Curry Curry. It's like you get the same seven blokes at the same bar stools. And if you're an outsider, it's like those Western films. You see them open the saloon doors. We don't serve your can't here outsider. So, oh, man. Oh. You have eight pairs of eyes looking at you with one set of teeth between them all. <laughs> wow. Oh, it's, oh, man. Curry, curry. It's just a place that keeps on giving. Oof. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry. I tangent again. Um, <laughs> Please. I like it. So, in terms of like, so that's in terms of like uh, writing and, 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 and stuff yeah. like that. What about when you, go through the recording process is it similar as well recording your your album as opposed to say when you're recording prisoner what were some of the differences there it's actually quite different um i mean with the band we you know you sort of go into the studio and you put down a rough um guide track and then you start layering things and you overdub and you kind of things morph as they go and the recording process can be be a part of your writing process too i guess in that respect and you, you know, lots of different sounds and things. With with the classical, with with Midnight Sun, I all of the hard work was in the rehearsal beforehand. So I rehearsed up all the pieces. I did it over two days. You know, actually about four four months apart as well. These two days, so I rehearsed sort of the first half of the album and then performed each track about four or five times. Um, And that was it. And then same thing for the second half of the album. And then, so I did it with Hospital Hill, Matt McQuiggan. He's, he does a lot of kind of contemporary classical recording. And so him and I kind of went through the, um, the takes, the different takes. And then if, if I had did like a big mistake or something, then I could edit in sort of a better version of it um, to create the best version for the album. Yeah. That's cool. So this is going to sound very, very silly as a question, but I, I got to ask: What are some of the like some of the biggest differences in performing classical music as opposed to being in the in the Jezebels? Like, obviously, it's a I would assume different demographic, different sorts of people. Is it? Um, what are some of the biggest differences you've seen as a performer? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, yeah, like you said, I think the main difference is the people that listen to it potentially or like your audience so thinking about your audience um yeah for me um it's this sort of sense of elitism as well which uh, um is interesting in the classical world um and I think it kind of it can potentially stop people from both writing in that kind of world or genre and and also listening to it um because of this stigma of like you know it's, oh that's you know that's really you have to be educated in a certain way or it's kind of classist in that way. Yeah, so for me, when I was thinking about this music, I because, you know, I do have that background with the band, I kind of wanted it to straddle these two worlds and somehow exist in between them <laughs> um, and and not not have that, that elitist vibe. So, I mean, it is an indie classical album and I, I did think about that attitude a lot with the music, how it sounded. Yeah, and so I, I I wanted it to be I wanted some of the tracks to be appealing maybe to people that that hadn't listened to much instrumental music before potentially in you know the chords shapes and maybe the, the harmony and the melodic stuff mm. um, but then also have like a bit of bit more complex stuff to it as well so um, so is you, you yeah. the best of both worlds you're trying to capture and more or less start your own genre really at. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's definitely related to the indie punk stuff. Yeah. I just, I just, I like how it's, that it's very imperfect. And, and I think that's the point of it for me is that, um, although I'm a musician from a, you know, whatever you want to call it, indie rock, pop rock band, um, you know, maybe that can feed into some sort of classical piano stuff too. Sweet. So I, I would yeah. see, I, I, as a fan, I hear that and go, you know what, that it makes me eager to hear it more than say just someone from a classical perspective, because you know, it gives you a chance to a wider range of fans can, can check it out. And from there, you know, for, resonate with it in some way like, like i did um ricochet was uh was, was something that i really really thoroughly enjoyed and in midnight sun as well like just i don't know what it was the last few weeks i've been going through an anxious time i've got some uh, like work issues and, and mental health issues i'm trying to get through like a bit of anxiety and stuff and just going for a walk and as i said to you the other day i just lay down in the sun in the park 
and just had it play the whole album start to finish and then I started it again and I'm not a classical music listener generally and I just yeah I don't know like it just it was calming it was enjoyable and I honestly couldn't wait to get more and I never thought I'd say that about you know thanks so much Mitch that that means so much like honestly and and to hear you have that experience with it like with the music and that it made you feel relaxed like that's why I wrote it too because you know I think there is a bit of stigma around maybe music that's kind of simple as well in the classical world and sometimes writing simple stuff is just (laughs) I don't know it can be more meaningful um I don't know. And I think not that it's totally simple, but I don't know. I wanted, I wanted people to resonate with it in that way too, just for yeah. it to be kind of a peaceful sound. Well, I mean, if it's yeah. tradition, uh, classically stereotypically simple, then perhaps other people are vibing and doing that themselves. And it's like, well, you know, no one wants to recreate someone else's work, I would assume. So, you know, kudos to mm. you for, for taking the best of both worlds and smashing out what I'll describe mm. as, as a very enjoyable album. Um, I've enjoyed it. What would, so, okay, here's a question. The, the name Midnight Sun, did that come from the fact that Iceland is stereotypically always sun shining in some way, shape or form? It's because it's never truly dark or where'd that name come from? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of an obvious name. Um, the sun was up probably until about 3 a.m., three or four in the morning um and just the nights were so peaceful really quiet and peaceful and you know it's an absurd there's that absurd quality to it you know I was I was a a foreign person in this place and it was so alien to me to have the sun up at night (laughs) um yeah it would be yeah in the middle of winter uh, sorry middle of um summer um, and it's still super cold as well. Like, you know, it's not, it's our winter in Australia, you know, would get in, in I, like at that time it was getting up to about 10 degrees or so. Oof. So it's still pretty cold. Very cold. Yeah. So, yeah, I just found that experience really beautiful and strange and yeah, a bit absurd. Sweet. Well, that, that makes for the best stories. Um, yeah. What a, as you've gone on, so as, you know, performing since you were a kid, as opposed to like then high school and Jezebel's up to today, what are some of like the best lessons you think you've learned in terms of like, for example, if if 31-year-old Mitch could go back to 18-year-old Mitch, I would have said invest in sunscreen shares because you're going to go bald faster than anything else or go to yeah, yeah. (laughs) But some of the best advice I guess I'd give myself is just be patient. Everything doesn't happen straight away. Be kind to yourself, I suppose. Yeah. I think that's good advice. Um, I think probably do you can just do things in your own time and everyone does things in their own time and you don't have to rush. Probably it's similar to, to your advice. Like, you know, I'm quite a slow person generally, I think. Maybe I'm not sure if I'm getting slower or if I always have been, but I feel like my creative process is quite slow. Um, and say similar to the, with the band too, like we, we weren't that fast at writing um, and we didn't we didn't have a lot of excess stuff when we wrote too. We you know back when we wrote Prisoner, um, I'm pretty sure we had 13 tracks and we put all 13 on the on the on the album. You know, we actually um, around that time we met Rick Rubin. Um, we went and he flew us over to LA um, and, uh, to interview us to see if you know we were going to be signed to his label, but. Um, we didn't, we didn't do it in the end because he wanted us to re-record everything with him. But, um, but at the time, like he was like, oh, so how many tracks have you got? Like, you know, these 13, they're great. Like, you know, you got more tracks and you know, how many drafts did you end up with? And we were like, uh, 13 and they're all on the album. Um, and then he was like, oh yeah, I just, I can't remember what the band was, but he was like, yeah, I just worked with blah, blah, blah. And, and we, you know, we had 50 tracks and then we like narrowed it down to, 10 and it was just like oh gosh we're so like like, that sounds like hard work oh my gosh but but also I think it just says a lot about our writing process and how we're we're so (laughs) we're very um pedantic and nitpicky about things and um slow and we put yeah I guess we don't we don't just sort of lightheartedly write music we have to make it intense (laughs) but you can also look at it from the other end of the you know of the, the spectrum, I guess, in regards to this is writing 50 tracks and then happen to, you know, building, say if you're King Gizzard, Lizard Wizard, you know, they put out albums every month, just about, it feels like, but to be that prolific, you know, not saying they are, mm. but in, to have to cut back shitloads of songs, it makes you go, is that time wasted, you know, 
Or would you rather mm. get it right and take it, take a, a Jezebel's approach and just put time and effort into the songs and not waste time? Like, so either, like both uh, styles, you know, work. And yeah. to be honest, I'm more on the, I'd rather take my time, get it done right, as opposed to smashing out a shitload and going, oh, now you have to cut back. That would, I think, would create more pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Probably both from answers on pros on both sides. Yeah, yeah. It just, it just, everyone just works so differently. And um, sometimes it's easy to look at another artist or a band or someone else and be like, oh, they're doing it right. You know, oh, that's how I should be doing it. But then, you know, there's no right or wrong way. It's just different. There's room for everyone to succeed, Matt O'Kine said. Oh, nice. Because he he was talking about, you know, some of the comedians on the rise when he was when he started out and Ronnie Chang went huge and other he's just like, No, we can all do this and it took him a little bit longer, but he found he found his stride and you know, so everyone can succeed. So everyone out there, it's not a competition, it's your life, live it the way you are. I'm Mitch Kelly. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Well so what's up? <laughs> what, uh, you know the news. That's my sign-off line for the news. <laughs> <laughs> so what's uh, what's next for you? Like the world's hopefully starting to open up. Can we see some more performances? Can we see some more songs in the pipeline? What's next for you? Definitely more of both. Hopefully, yeah. Next year is going to be a few shows happening. Um, so what? Uh, okay. So more performances, more music. And what I'll do in the bio is I'll leave a link for your website and your socials and, you know, some streaming options. And I'll play one of the tracks at the end of this episode too as well. So before we finish up, is there anything that you want to close out on or say to your fans, anything that you'd like to say? Oh, just um, thanks for listening. If you made it to the end of this podcast. um... (laughs) I thank you as well if you Sorry, Mitch. I'm just thinking more about um myself, but um. Well, this is no. Yeah, I'm here to share your story. Like you yeah. make my job easier. Um, <laughs> if you if you talk, so feel free. Yeah. Well, yeah. But well, so, yeah. Thank thanks for listening to um the Jezebels and to my piano music. If you have um really really do appreciate it. Um, I I think about you as a listener when I'm writing. So yeah. And thanks so much for having me, Mitch, on your podcast. Hey, it's been you've a been, lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Like, thank you for coming on. Like, as I said, I'm going to fanboy again here. So it just means a lot to to be in an age where you can reach out to someone whose art you've appreciated. Uh, you know, Greta Ray, uh, Hayley Mary's been very generous. I spoke to Charlie as well. And yourself, like, you, you've all very kind. And anyone who is kind enough to give me their time and help me create a piece of art as well, like, I know it's not your traditional sense of, artistry but doing a podcast is creative and i enjoy the hell out of it so i i'm thankful as well and um yeah so thank you for coming on today and um i hope everyone has enjoyed the listen as always i feel free to get in contact with the show lifesomemitchpodcast.com and send me an email and if you want to be on just let me know so uh a little bit of a special treat usually i don't do this but because i'm such a fan and it's it's an amazing album heather's allowed us to play one of her songs so this is off midnight sun who let us record This is Cradle. I hope you enjoy and I will see you on the next one. Bye for now.
Life's a Mitch.